Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Olivier Derivier for 1111 Memories Retold. It's an adventure game using, uh, or set rather, during World War I. Olivier used a full orchestra, the Philharmonia Orchestra of London, no less, and he recorded them all together at Abbey Road Studios uh, in the UK. Normally, instruments would be sorted by type and recorded separately, so like, uh, you know, perhaps low strings versus high strings, or the brass would be separated and recorded separately, winds separated and recorded separately, percussion, etc. But not this time, and you'll hear Olivier talk more about other recording techniques that were employed uh, for this sound, uh, this score as well, to really bring the ensemble alive. Uh, The singers, too. There was a choir called the Pinewood Singers featured heavily in the soundtrack, and it's all just very lovely music. Here's Olivier. So this game, uh, 1111 Memories Retold, is being made by uh, Ardman, who is, they are like a um, studio animation, mostly for movies and TV. They've been doing uh, Wallace and Gromit and uh, uh, recently the future movie called Early Man. And uh, so they were uh, in charge of everything that was visuals. On the other hand, you have DigixArt, which is uh, French-based, and they've been doing more uh, about the level design, game design. And finally, it's uh, published by Bandai Namco, and they wanted to make this game uh, as a... um, sort of artistic sort of take on video games rather than uh, anything else. So it's a very unique approach for a a publisher to work that way, that it's not about uh, gamey, it's not about uh, even sales, but it's about the art form. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, very, very interesting to uh, step my, you know, feet inside these uh, sort of um, three big names, you know. So what happened is this game is about, um, actually it's a very, very simple sort of story because it's mainly a story and it happens during the First World War. And uh, it's the story of a young Canadian uh, performed by uh, Elijah Wood that is uh, going to war to sort of impress a girl, but also to get some adventure because he thinks that you know, going to war is going to be some sort of fun. Mm-hmm. He has no idea. He's very naive like that. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you have a German soldier, Kurt, that is performed by um, Sebastian Koch. And um, he's a father. And if he's uh, enlisting, it's just because his son went missing and he wants to know where his son is. So um, basically, the two characters will at some point, of course, meet and could not. I mean, they can't talk to each other. But yet, you know, what happens to them makes create a sort of a relationship. And of course, you know, throughout the whole war, this relationship evolves up to this very big climax that I don't want to spoil. But basically, this is depending on the player's decisions throughout the whole game in terms of storyline that will, you know, create the ending that the players would sort of choose, you know, after all the gameplay. So it's a very narrative-driven game. It's about, I mean, it's taking place, you know, during World War One, but it's very human, a very human story about friendship. 
it's about ha- things that happen in World War One, but it's not a war game, right? You're you're not shooting and running through fields and things like that, like you would imagine a different yes. type of game. Yeah, that's right. You happen maybe to hold a, a gun maybe once in the game, and for the, the you know the best reasons, let's say. Uh, but basically, it's not a, a game about war, as many games uh, picture war as you know something fun. Number one, mm. and number two, because we're not much on the battlefield, you have like few sequences, but not so much. It's much more about the journey and how every soldiers, so on each side, would experience war in a different sort of pace that the pace we think it, it was. So basically it's a lot of waiting, you know, a lot of uh, expecting uh, for a battle. And meanwhile, you need to occupy yourself, you know, so this is much more about this. Yeah. Um, I want to talk just right off the bat about the amazing musicians you worked with on this score that we're about to talk about in great detail because because they play so so well and you played with the or you had the Philharmonia Orchestra and uh, the Pinewood Singers and were there children in that choir as well or are those women singing as young you know what I mean Yes so it's uh, it's funny you you're pointing that out because Yes, I wrote the, the the score to be performed by a children's choir and men. However, it's very difficult to get children's choir mm-hmm. uh, for mm-hmm. you know the the amount of time we had in terms of production, getting everything prepared, and you know to get the the best level of performance takes a lot of time for children to learn the music. Yes. So what happened is that we got in touch with the Pinewood Singers, and I I asked them how you know, the, the female singers uh, could sort of mimic uh, a children's choir. Mm-hmm. And what was so, so let's say, unexpected for them is that, you know, they didn't know much about this sort of texture. And when they first performed the music, like the first cue, they went the way they were used to, you know. So, you know, I got in and I said, listen, uh, it's wonderful voices. You you girls know how to sing, no problem. Mm. But I want you to just avoid doing what you know doing best. And I need you to be very soft and to be very gentle and to avoid any vibrato, like mm-hmm. no vibrato at all. Mm-hmm. And what's so funny is that some people, I mean, maybe you did at some point and, you know, other people came to me and uh, asked me, so who is like this children's choir? Yeah. So, in a way, we, we succeeded. I'm very you happy. Did. It, they, made, they made an amazing job. Yes, they really did, because it took me until probably at least two-thirds of the way be- through the score. And, I mean, I was listening, you know, pretty close, too. You know, <laughs> I mean, they, it, it, they did such an amazing job, and there's so much wonderful choral writing in here. Is this a 100% acoustic score? Like, did you add anything to it? So, all right. Um, 
<laughs> Am I yeah. asking you to divulge all your secrets? We don't. You don't oh, have to. Oh, not answer. at all. No, no. You, you, you'll see the story. I think you're going to be surprised. Okay. So thing is, um, so the Philharmonia Orchestra is a very famous orchestra, a very classical orchestra, and I've been working with them already on three, on two projects before this one. So mm -hmm. they know me. They know I'm a little bit like, um, uh, let's say. Um, against the trend, meaning that they knew that they would play all together, number one. And uh, But for this time, uh, what I said to them is that uh, it's going to be very classical music and we need to perform the music as if it was a classical score. So they went like, okay, uh, but my issue was that uh, for production reasons and many others, most of the cues needed a click track, meaning that we needed to to play against a metronome, you know, which is very yep. unclassical. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you don't yes. do this in classical music. Yes. So I was very frustrated because the music was not appealing for this this sort of steady pace, you know, uh, pacing. But then um, I got the idea. I was like, okay, war is something that is inevitable. I mean, you can't escape war. You know, that's something that will go and move forward, whatever happens. And I happen to think, okay, what I may do is add, and you can listen carefully, a sort of a pulse behind the orchestra that goes like boom, 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 like this. Yes. And this pulse is actually the only element that is uh, electronic, but it makes the music, I mean, it gives the music the, the right purpose to be on a click track, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, so I, it was sort of a engine reverse engineering. So I could justify in my own perception <laughs> <laughs> why the music would be recorded with a click track. Sure. Sure. But I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a necessary, necessary thing for what you were accomplishing. Um, they, they just play so wonderfully and, and I want to know how many, I mean, that was like a romantic-sized orchestra, too. It sounds to me like that's like an 80-piece orchestra or something. A little less. Yes, you're right. It's um, It was not this big, actually, because the strings... I mean, okay, if you talk about the romantic era and you think about, you know, Mahler or, you know, those big orchestras, that's yeah. like half the size. You know, right. it's like 60-something. <laughs> so um, here it's more like, let's say, a French-size orchestra without uh, any brass, which is very important. Because um, I didn't want the the music to be very powerful. I didn't want the music to sound very sort of uh, brassy, meaning like sort of you know epic scale. Mm -hmm. uh, we wanted to create something that was more about you know uh, feelings and um, internal feelings rather than something that was uh, brilliant and, you know, ecstatic, mm -hmm. like, you know, World War II might have been in terms of instrumentation. Mm -hmm. But here, you know, for the colors and for the, the mood of the game, no, it wasn't necessary to have a huge orchestra. But the thing is, the woodwinds are by three. You know, usually, like, uh, it's by two, you know, like two flutes, two clarinet, you know, two mm -hmm. oboes. Mm -hmm. Now you have three, you know. Why? It's because we wanted, I mean, I needed to create a lot of textures, Mm -hmm. So that's where, you know, it feels like a bigger orchestra. Well, because they're doubling, right? Because the flutes aren't just playing flute. There's a flute player playing piccolo sometimes, or one of the oboes might be playing English horn or something, right? Well, actually, you have English horn plus oboes plus oboes, you know. Oh, wow, so, cool. Okay. Yeah. 
So the thing is, so now you have like three notes to create a chord, you know, so now mm -hmm. flutes, we have like flute one, two plus piccolo, so three chords, you know, three notes. Okay. So now you have like, you know, six notes and then, you know, two clarinets, one bass clarinet, you know, two bassoon, one contrabassoon, meaning that uh, the, the texture is created by the harmony. So we were talking about Debussy and Ravel and, you know, Fauré. You need as, you know, this much of... Uh, let's say, voices to create harmonies that are as rich as it was needed. We'll go back to the part where you said there wasn't brass, though, because there's definitely brass in the score. Yes, that's another story. There are like basically uh, horns, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, just, just four. <laughs> just just uh, four. <laughs> yeah, just four. Um, yeah. But, and, but the thing is, uh, there is one trumpet for sure, because, you know, for war and World War One, basically, and Commonwealth, because Canadian side, you know, was Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. They were used to have those sort of, you know, um, chants in the trumpet like you know those things and it was meant to you know put some indication whatever motivation and um so we wanted to have that in the score but now what happened was such such an amazing story is that you know i called the manager of the philharmonia asking them please give me the best so like the, the 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 first chair of the orchestra you know not the substitute not you know the mm -hmm. really first chair because this music is very very musical we need the best soloist you guys have mm -hmm. and they were like no problem you'll get them so of course i knew you know about the the concert master and you know all of that but then uh there was this kid that came in and he was like you know the trumpet player and i felt oh no Oh no, they gave us, you know, they gave us the substitute or whoever, you know, was like here because, you know, musicians are very busy, you know, in London and sometimes they have to, you know, share sure. between orchestras and things like this. So I felt like, I, I mean, I felt confident because it was still, you know, the Philharmonia, but I felt sort of frustrated not to have the, the first chair, you know, mm -hmm. but then what happened is he started playing hmm. and it was like, wow, everybody in the booth, you know, the recording booth were, were like, what's going on? And I turned to the manager and I said, but who is this kid? And he said, he's the first chair. Huh. <laughs> you know, and he was 24 and he got there at 22. Wow. Oh my goodness. Yeah, he's a genius. Yeah, he's wow. a genius. Jason something. He's a genius, really. Wow. So that's the, the brass we have, just one. about how this score was structured and um, it's it's definitely the most through composed or probably I'm sure there are others and if I thought about it I, I could think of a few but it's so unusual to basically have a through composed score in this way I mean I don't know from the listens that I had whether there's looping it doesn't it just doesn't sound like that kind of score so talk talk to me a little bit about that 
Oh, definitely. This is, uh, I mean, most of my scores, I'm trying to, let's say, make the soundtrack, you know, because the music is way different when it's in game. Sure. But, uh, but the soundtracks uh, should be, I hope, you know, exciting from beginning to end. And let's say um, intelligent, like something you sort of understand what's going on. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of structure, I mean, so mm -hmm. for this game, one of the singularity of this game is that uh, I happen to write the music in at the same moment the writers were, you know, writing the story, the, the story, and the visuals were made by Artman. So it means what? It means that we were telling the story through each of our own craft. You know, so it means mm -hmm. that uh, the structure you have in the music, starting from the beginning to the end is my expression of the story, like is a musical expression of the story. It means that you need to sort of, if you start the music and end the music, you need to understand everything that happens, you know? So that's why the music is very expressive and very well structured in such an extent that uh, it's, it's like a ballad music. Uh, you could definitely have like dancers, you know, on top of the music Yes. Uh, expressing, you know, the the uh, situations without any, you know, any body telling you the story because the music is enough. You know, it's not a, every day that I get the opportunity to talk to someone from France about <laughs> <laughs> about French classical composers like Debussy and Ravel and yes. Faure and all all the names that I will massacre horrendously. But I mean, the tradition there, just in the Romantic era alone, is amazing. Well, the thing is, I'm French, as you said, and I've been educated in France. Um, Funny story is that when I went to the United States and I started, you know, get it, get some education over there, it was very, very difficult for me because the way American culture is like on music approach is so different from the French approach that sometimes you feel like it clashes. Do you mean so, in terms of teaching it or in terms of writing it? Everything. Okay. Everything is so different. So the teaching is different. The writing is different. But basically, when I came back from the United States to my teacher, like asking him, I don't understand. I couldn't, I couldn't get it. This is what he told me. And it, it really like put some enlightenment to me. He said, listen, in France, our culture is based on the note. Meaning what? Meaning that every note needs to have, you know, a previous note and a following note that has a purpose. We need that. Okay. You cannot go from one note to the next without any like sort of rule. Okay. I'm, I'm not saying like you need to follow them, but you need to at least create them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's, that's the French approach. Whereas in America, it's rather the sounding approach, like how it sounds as a full chord. Yep. You know, so it's totally different because now you can see the, the sort of freedom you have when it's about sound, you know, against notes. So that's uh, and it's not like better or worse. You know, it's just mm -hmm. a different approach. 
so basically, you know, I've been like studying those styles, you know, up to Ravel and Ravel and Debussy and the, and this is when I left, actually, after I studied Ravel, I was like, okay, I need something fresh, I need something new. And this is, you know, for a few years I was in the United States. And so it it was very easy for me to sort of write this music because it, it was my education, you know, yes. and my sensitivity as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm French and, you know, I sort of, I think the delicacy of the music, you know, those guys, I mean, I'm not trying, I'm not saying I'm, I can compare with them, all right? But... Uh, the delicacy of their writing, the the amount of details, but you know clarity, although it's so detailed, you know, is just amazing. And I try to borrow from them, you know. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I did borrow a lot from Foray was not mainly about about his style, you know, a little bit with the uh, what we call the uh, Foray cadenza. I don't know if you know, but there is like a, a cadenza that has his own name. <laughs> I did not know this. Yes, you can look it up. I mean, I like will. Cadenza, yeah, on Wikipedia, you go with Cadenza, and one of them is Foray Cadenza. Cool. And you can play it, and when you hear it, it's like, oh, it's amazing. So this is the one I used, overused, you know, for the this this music. But it's rather the um, the mood. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Foray, Foray uh, Requiem is very, very peaceful. This is what I wanted to do with this music. I wanted the music, I mean, we wanted the music to be as peaceful as possible. Yes. You mentioned something um, a little earlier about how the orchestra recorded together. So yes. you didn't split them out for stems or anything. You re- you recorded them all, all in one I've, big bang. I've never, ever did this in my whole career. Huh. <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the thing. I mean, for 11.11, the one thing that is truly amazing, I think, is that it's one of the, I mean, I, I don't know if it's happening like ever again, that uh, they go to Abbey Road. So we went to Abbey Road. Mm-hmm. We made a classical recording of the orchestra. It means what? It means that you have no compression, no equalization, no reverb, no pause processing, no nothing. What you are hearing is the actual orchestra, the way it was written and the way it sounded within, you know, the walls of Abbey Road, which is nobody does that anymore. That's no. it, you know. So so that's that's one of the, the few things I'm very happy, you know, we, we went through because I think it's people are starting to forget what is the sound of the on of an orchestra. I mean the youngest, I mean, yes, they're not like, you know, they tend to think that when you hear like those big brass and brah, da, 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 you know, all those things or indie, you know, like those, uh, you know, indie uh, movies or games where you have like only one clarinet, one cello, you know, it's so much compressed. It's so over the top. I mean, yeah, it, it's not it's not natural. I'm not saying it's ugly or anything like this. You know, it's just that it's just the, different. Yeah. Yeah. The relationship, the the acknowledgement of what is the sound of an actual orchestra is sort of lost. Mm-hmm. So I'm very happy we made this because now I can just tell, you know, anybody, oh, if you want to listen to a soundtrack, a game soundtrack that sounds like, you know, genuinely uh, natural with an orchestra, you yeah. know, just listen to this. Mm-hmm. 
let's talk some about some of these specific tracks. And, you know, my notes are pretty much in order as I was listening through. But because um, um, we talked a little bit about the two main characters of Harry from Canada and Kurt from Germany and how Harry is like the young, naive kid, you know, just boating on over to World War One in the Western Front uh, in France. And Kurt, who's much older and is a father, has lost his son. And so he has just such a different... Um, he has a much different context for this war. And just the way you score them right off the bat is so evocative of that because Harry's music is just lots of wins with piano, by the way. The piano and the harp were magnificent through the whole thing as well. Um, and just very light texture for Harry compared to Kurt where you hear all that brass kind of and pomp yes. and more weight. It's much heavier. Um, so talk to me a little bit about uh, those those two fellas and, and writing the music for them. Yes, I think, I mean, you. That's, that's wonderful because basically you got exactly what I wanted people to feel. So um, the, um, the approach for Harry, once again, it's, you know, when you do a game score, you're not alone. And I, you know, I'm always participating with the writers, the game directors and all of this, talking a lot with them. So the writers, when I asked them, what about Harry? They were like, oh, you know, he's naive. And they, they started to sort of, you know, showing me like how with their hands, like how in, in, sort of, you know, light he was on everything. You know, he's like this, this good guy, you know. They said, no, Kurt is more like grounded. And they were like, you know, going up and down with their hands. They were like, he's grounded like this. Boom, boom, boom. And so that's how I approached the music for each of them. Mm-hmm. Having Harry more horizontal and melodic and uh, Kurt more uh, vertical, so harmonic. So that's why when Kurt, you know, you have those, those, those sort of low, so it's basically, yes, you have some um, horns, French horns, but this is the low um, uh, contrabassoon and the current bass that adds up this sort of, you know, more, let's say, um, a dark color to mm-hmm. the horns because the horns, you know, they're they're sort of noble instruments. You know what I mean? I mean, it's 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 a yes. very sort of, you know, it's beautiful. It had so much warmth. So with the addition of those, uh, you know, instruments, the contrabassoon and the clarinet bass, those are a little more like, I would say, they, they add a little rust, you know, like acid to the the chords, and that's you know that what makes Kurt interesting in terms of um, uh, texture.
for Harry, it's much more light, and of course, you know, the flute and the harp, you know, mm-hmm. all of this uh, are, you know, kind of that's that's an easy one. This one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thing too that we've definitely mentioned but kind of glossed over a little bit is you know first of all explaining the meaning of 1111 because that has to do with armistice day which was the 11th month the 11th day 11th hour 11th minute all of that that brought the first world war to an end so to speak and the the game starts a couple years before that right so there's yes. a you know it doesn't start at the beginning of world war 1 canadians no. weren't in it at the beginning anyway so no. it's you know that happened later and uh, so he's coming from a very 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 different part of the world i can't yes. imagine what it would be like to go from canada in 1916 to the Western Front in France. I, I can't even imagine the change that would have been like. But one of the battles is is Vimy Ridge, and you deal with that in this. Um, and it was such a huge, amazing, wonderful, um, quote-unquote wonderful, uh, success for the Canadians in the war. What's so funny is that although, yes, you're right, historical events are, you know, the, 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 the pillars, you know, one of the pillars of the game, what was uh, our take on those was how would Harry react when for the first time he would be at war, you know, sure. like it, at the front. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's not alone. He's with uh, a, a major called Major Barrett. And Major Barrett is this sort of, you know, war hero. He's like much older and he's very ecstatic about war and he's like, you know, uh, very, let's say, uh, uplifting about uh, getting killed. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he, he's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's make it. Uh, it's going to be great, you know? Yeah, yeah. And But but also, he's sort of invisible. I mean, nobody can hit this guy. I mean, he bullets go, like, through him. You know, he doesn't get touched, anything. Mm. So Harry, when he starts, like, the first day of the Vimy Rage, he's scared. And you can hear the music starts very sort of, scary tone and then you hear the brass so let's say the trumpet and the horns going like Mm -hmm. because it's barrett saying let's go guys let's go let's go and you can feel like throughout the whole because what happens is like you you switch from harry to kurt you know back to harry back to kurt and you can hear in the music the fact that when harry is getting higher you know like closer to the, the 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 german side the trumpet and all of this starts to become a little bit like corrupted, like a little bit different, a little more like difficult. So he starts thinking war is not fun. You know, he starts like taking the full scale of what is war. Yes. And uh, on the other side, you have Kurt. So it's very, you know, very easy to, to, when you know it's the two of them, you know, in the same queue, you can hear like the, the back and forth. And when you are Kurt, what happens is like you can hear like the sort of the the tension, the the, the strings. I mean, they made, they made such amazing work, like tan tan tan, very Shostakovich, tan 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 tan, like this. Yes. 
And then you have like the melody of Kurt that goes on top of this because he's a pacifist. He doesn't want to fight. Mm-hmm. He wants to find his son, but he has to because now Kurt's what what is Kurt realizing is he understands that sort of everybody there is like you know are like his sons, his own sons and brothers. So he wants to help them. You know? When you said Shostakovich, you know. I, I could be totally wrong here, but there were a couple of times where I felt like I was listening to a Stravinsky ballet. And yeah. Stravinsky, of course, is Russian, but he spent loads of time in Paris and the U.S., but he premiered me- most of his most famous ballets in Paris. So, yes. it, you know, the influence was there. He he, he knew Debussy. He knew all these people. They knew each other kind of thing. So... Was there a little bit of that in there from from time to time? Well, I think Stravinsky is a very, let's say, he's too smart for me. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's amazing, all right, what he's done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, I'm much more, uh, I feel closer to Shostakovich, definitely. Okay, know? So, sure. yeah, it's, it's much more, I mean, this composer, I mean, this is, when I first heard Shostakovich, it felt like he was writing for my own being. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I mean, I feel mm-hmm. connected with what he, he, he did. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but Stravinsky, of course, I mean, as you said, it's a long legacy, you know, all of this. So me, I'm not saying I tried to follow the legacy, but let's say that mm-hmm. I borrowed, you know, from them yeah. without any, like, I didn't look to any scores or anything like this. You know, it's it's just like, I didn't have time for that anyway. So, <laughs> so yeah, so it was just like my education mm-hmm. coming back to me. There's a track, well, the choir again. Let's talk about the choir. There's all this really wonderful, uh, delicate dissonance that you use with the choir. A lot of suspensions and, you know, them kind of butting up against each other, but in a beautiful way. I mean, there's definitely examples of gorgeous dissonance and calming dissonance compared to, you know, the opposite dissonance that really can can make your ear... Uh, just uncomfortable, as it were. But the, uh, talk to me a little bit about writing them in such a thick texture, which again, very uh, evocative of the French Romantic era. But yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, the, the one thing you need to know is that uh, most of the time there are like five voices, even six, to get these sort of chords. You know, the the, yep. the, um, the the texture. You know, to build the texture as it should be. Uh, in terms of um, musicality. So, uh, but the thing is, what you said is very true also, and I'm happy you mentioned this. It's, yes, there are dissonance, uh, and I hope, I mean, that you don't feel them as something that is um, unsettling, you know, like something that would bother you, but rather, you know, something that would surprise you in a way, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, I, I wouldn't guess, you know, the direction would go there, you know, or there in terms of harmonize, harmonization. Mm-hmm. And this is basically what they've been doing, those guys. I mean, 
uh, Forêt and Debussy and Ravel, what they tried to do. I remember my teacher, you know, telling me things. I mean, I couldn't believe this. Like Ravel, we were studying Ravel, uh, Mamerlois, which is like one of his uh, very famous pieces. Oh. And uh, he, he was showing me the way it was written and the way you would hear the music and the way Ravel would think the music. Yeah. And basically, he was like, so on this very chord, which is like a first degree, you know, it's like, okay, like C major, you play C major chord. Okay, he would play like, I don't know, uh, A sharp, uh, G sharp, you know, uh, D sharp or things like this. And you, would, you you might think, what what are those notes? What is the justification of these notes? But then to Ravel, it was the D sharp was a E, the F sharp was a, you know, G, you know what mm -hmm, I mean? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's yes. the way he was thinking the music to give the music the same sort of rules that tonal music would have, but to add up something that was unexpected. Mm -hmm. So this is sort of the approach I had, you know, uh, writing the, the choir part. Well, when you talked about earlier in our conversation about how French music is all about you know, the the notes moving to their destination, basically. Mm -hmm. The first thing I thought of was uh, Mother Goose Suite, which is what we call it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because I can't say it as... I, I, ma Mère... Loire. Tell me... Loire? Yes. Okay. Ma Mère Loire, which is the very Mother good. Goose Suite. Thank you. Yes. Maurice Ravel, and the very final movement, The Enchanted Garden. And that's the first thing I thought of when you said that, because that is, to me, a perfect encapsulation of what you were saying. Did that very small, it's a very short movement, it ends the whole suite, and it's, it's just that. It's that. Every note is going somewhere. talk about um, the tune called Escape from the Tunnels, mm -hmm. and there's this really great energy in it, and the energy moves around the orchestra in, in a really cool way, too, but, you know, for a time, basically, you could say that the upper strings have all this uh, these speedy runs going on against this ostinato in the rest of the group, and then it kind of passes around a bit there, but the energy in that piece is just great. Well, the thing is... Um so this is going to surprise you, all right? Okay. So I, I wouldn't expect you to pick that one. So um, this is sort of a so it's a it's a long run. It's a sort of a I always do this on every soundtrack that I do since 1999. So even before I was writing for games, <laughs> is I try to pay a tribute to The Matrix by Don Davis. Okay. I know. I know. It's a long like. Ooh, no, it's that's a long amazing. Shot. But that's that's where it comes from. Really? It's yes. The Matrix is by far the most underrated score ever. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And 
the techniques he's using in the orchestra, Don Davies, he's doing everything. Of course, he borrowed from a lot of, you know, previous composers, but it's yeah. not the, you know, the, the, the point. The point is that he created something that even if there is no melodies, nothing but textures, you know, with the orchestra, if you listen just three seconds of the Matrix, you know it's the Matrix, mm. which is amazing. It's so, I mean, nowadays it's just impossible to think yeah. this way. march that you wrote called Harry Arrives is really great and I think that marches must be kind of difficult to write and I feel that way because I don't hear a lot of good ones and I feel like when I think about marches I think John Williams writes some of the best marches oh, of course, all yes. across the board and and, oh, yeah. and I mean I I really enjoyed Harry Arrives and I I don't know if I'm just making it up that marches are hard to write, but I just thought that was a really great track. And um, tell me a little bit about that. This is a very illustrative sort of, it's hairy, you know? Yep. So it's it's just superficial sort of take on, oh, okay, I'm arriving. This is the soldier's camp. I'm a Canadian. We're the heroes. And, uh, you know, everything looks great and, and it's very light. And as you say, it's a march. Uh, the way I wrote it, I, I have no idea how difficult it was or not for me. I don't know. It's, you know, you <laughs> have to. So yeah, do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but in terms of, you know, writing per se, yes. I mean, you're totally right saying that John Williams is the master for these things. And this is exactly why I would, I wouldn't you know, trying to write any, <laughs> but here I had to, you know, so here it is. Um, and then Providence as well, which, mm -hmm. if I remember right, is mostly choral. Is that a most, I, I'm trying to yeah, remember it's, now. Uh, it's the only one with no lyrics on the choir. Providence is a, um, well, as the title you know, suggests, is a very big moment where, let's say, Deus Ex Machina happens, you know, something like so unexpected, you know, happens to save the, the day, you know, okay. and uh, and for this one, it's just a, what's happening is like a bird that Harry took under his, let's say, as a pet, you know, uh, takes some documents that give, you know, that describe what will be the next attack from the Canadians. And this very bird takes those documents and fly through the forest and the water and, you know, the fields 
to give it to Kurt, the German, so the Germans can protect themselves because in this very attack, you're going to have gas. So they take, you know, gas mask to protect themselves. Yes. So so the, the music is about the fact that this bird is totally disconnected from the war. You know, like the bird doesn't care. You know, he's like going through. And you as a gamer and as sort of a... Your avatar is now a bird. You know, it's no oh. more Harry. It's no more Kurt. It's this bird. So huh. what we wanted to do is to create this very moving but, you know, colorful because you have a lot of, you know, uh, puppies and uh, you have a lot of, you know, different sequences with a big, big, big zeppelin in the sky that goes like when you hear the brass, the the man goes, da, da, you know, it's like you mm. see the big zeppelin. So it gives you a lot of uh, idea like of a bird flying. I just thought the whole soundtrack was absolutely wonderful. And you oh, could literally you. get that orchestra on a stage and play it from start to finish for an audience. Yes, that's what the, the Philharmonia wanted to, you know, wanted me to do. They said, you don't want this music to stay in the game. You know, they were like, you have to perform the music. You have yes. to make, make something with this music. But, you know, my answer is always the same. It's like, I don't have time for that. Yeah. You know, I, I can't go and you know, spend time to talk to people, trying to convince them. I mean, although they would be willing to, it takes so much time to organize. Mm-hmm. You know, right now I'm finishing like two games. I have like, you know, more incoming, you know, very yeah. difficult, you know, games to score. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not that I, I don't think, I mean, for the first time, I would I would tell you frankly what I think. I think for the first time, yes, I would I would definitely give this music a live performance it's an intelligent, self-intelligent music. You can start the, the, you know, the the piece and end the piece, and you get the whole, you know, uh, experience. Mm-hmm. So without feeling like, oh, it's dragging now, you know, uh, or uh, I don't know where it's going, you know, all of that. Yeah. So yes, that's that's the only one. But maybe when I'll be like eight years old, I'll consider. I don't know. <laughs> The other thing that is interesting is uh, the choir part, like the lyrics. Um, not that, uh, you know, the lyrics were written in French. I wrote them in French and somebody uh, translated them in English. I don't know if you got that, but um, but the thing is, what was very moving even for me was that, uh, you know, writing lyrics is not something I'm used to. <laughs> That's yeah. for sure. What was very interesting is that you could, I mean, when you write lyrics, it's different from music because at this very moment, you put meaning that everybody will understand the same way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. And and it gives the music uh, a bigger understanding. So now the music is about that, you know? So, so th- that was interesting for me to sort of write lyrics where I knew the music should be like this but you know i wrote the music the score before the lyrics 
you know i sure I, yep i have you know which is like also i wanted to do based on poems from apollinaire i don't know if you know he's a poet from um, no. france okay very well known he's the one like during world war one very like you know famous okay but but i happened to read what he was writing and i was like oh my god okay this this cannot be you know easily transcribed into music so i happened to write the, the lyrics uh and i think i mean it, it's it's another layer of uh let's say telling the story of the game and the, not in a way that is illustrative you know it's not like oh i'm uh, you know we were going there and we did that and this is what i felt you know it's not about this you know it's right. like one of the the cues is called i don't remember like kurt's going home or something like this mm -hmm. and uh, it's a, a very moving in my opinion moment in the game where kurt so goes back home on a permission and he sees the house he smelled the you know the, the fields you know he's a farmer originally and an engineer farmer and everything is the same but he's not you know and that's yeah. you know what to, to express so that's you know it, it was very very new for me to, to do this but also very sort of um, you have to put to put more of yourself which is something I don't want to show to people you know We talked early, early on. I, I mentioned the fact that you had light motifs, so you had, yes. you know, recurring motives or brief melodies and whatnot that you bring back to, um, you know, remind us of a character or a place, oh, yeah. perhaps. So, uh, talk to us just briefly about about that. Well, light motifs is something that is against the trend. Nowadays, if you write a melody, number one, it's very like, and it's very rare that people will be like, "Oh yeah, I want a melody." But then when you start using that as a late motive, you know, a lot of people will turn you down. So, but I've been doing this for all the games that I've been scoring because in games you can do whatever you want. Right. Don't tell people. <laughs> so, uh, so the thing is, uh, is I've worked with late motive, and if you Careful enough, I mean, it's all over the place, like all over the place. You can pick up, you know, and be like, oh, my God, the melody is down here on the bass. The melody is down there, you know. Mm -hmm. And, of course, what happens is like, so if we come back to the, the horizontal writing for Harry and vertical writing for Kurt, you can already guess what I did, you know. It's like going one against the other. So basically what I did, a very easy trick is like, Harry is in G major and Kurt is in E minor. Okay. You know, so, you know, everything is related like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the very end, the confrontation, I guess that's the name of the title. Uh, this one, uh, you can hear the two themes all together, like in a very, yes, we could say like Stravinsky, <laughs> if you want to, <laughs> or Shostakovich, depending, yeah. uh, way. You know, it's very like clashing, and but still it's sort of, you know, building up the whole purpose, you know, of the the late motifs and therefore the story.
Thank you so much, Olivier. Have a great night. Thanks, Emily. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to episode 104 of Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about Olivier at olivierderiviere.com and at patreon.com slash level. There's a full playlist on our Patreon site as well. Again, that's patreon.com slash level. And you can follow Olivier on Twitter and also his Bandcamp page. I'm Emily Reese. Our producer is Sam Keenan. Say hi, Sam. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services and composer Brad Gentle. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media, Inc.